Right. Oh, I'm not sure this. Time. Uh, it's Roger there. I haven't checked. Um, uh, shut up, you. Shut up. Right. Let me let me clean up this audio. Um, oh no, I, it's just made it messier. God, it's like it's like everything I try and do just makes things worse. Uh, I'm just just going to have to get on with the podcast. Um, hello and welcome to episode twenty-one of Ribbon of Memes, a podcast where we mercilessly interrogate films previously described by other bumbling idiots as masterpieces. I am joined by the rattled Roger. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be all right. We'll know what to do. I am Nick, and tonight we are um, digging holes, making mistakes, and trying to cover up all those mistakes very badly as we investigate the Coen Brothers movie, um, uh, debut, the 1984 film Blood Simple. Mm-hmm. And we're returning, Roger, to the film noir genre, it seems. Well, yes. And I was not terribly impressed with some of the later. Well, I mean, all right, I, I huh. still regard the Maltese Falcon as very nearly perfect. Yep, but fair point. here is a thing that takes out one of what I consider the central planks of, of classic noir, and yet still makes it work. And what, what it is lacking is the man who is walking down the mean streets who is not himself mean. Everybody here is messed up. No, <laughs> you mean nobody all these is, people are bastards. Nobody is doing the honourable thing, come what may. And yes, it still well, works. Well, that may be, we talked about this in our Noirathon, the distinction between neo-noir and classic noir, that we we don't have the, the kind of the tough uh, hero, really. You know, it, and we talked about why Chinatown might be more classic noir than neo-noir, because Jake is essentially a good person. That's a hard accusation to level at over any of the characters in Blood um, I suppose Francis McDormand's character may be the closest to a nice person. Um, yeah. But she's more yeah. reactively nice. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I mean, as far as the plot summary goes, it's the old, it's the old story of boy meets girl, girl has an affair with boy, husband hires PI to murder boy and girl, PI decides it'd be easier to do away with husband instead, botches job. Boy assumes girl attempted to murder husband, attempts to get rid of the body, also botches job. P.I. then decides to murder both of them, um, murders boy, girl murders P.I. You know, we've seen it a hundred times, yeah. <laughs> this this story. Um, it's, uh, well, I know, and I'm a big fan of the Coen brothers, for and have been for some time. I was a little bit uh, nervous. I hadn't seen Blood Simple before. I was a little nervous that maybe they took a while to become the masters of cinema that they are to me. Sorry, <laughs> I'm going to be gushing in this film. And I think they probably did take a while to reach the heights of what I know them as, but goodness me, this is quite a debut. I haven't seen any of their other films, but I'm more <clears throat> likely to watch one now than I was before I watched this, so... It's it's quite Cohen-y. Um, <laughs> one thing it doesn't do, the later Cohen films kind of polish up. This film, the Cohen films in general, are the sort of humour where you're like, is this is this actually supposed to be funny? Um, I don't <laughs> quite, is this, and this um, Blood Simple is even more along the um, not really quite comedy level, um, but certainly has comic moments and is actually just... The mistakes of the characters are almost comedically idiotic, um, to the point where it's it's sort of becoming funny, even when it's horrible. Mm, definitely one would call it black humour. <clears throat> yes, yeah, which the Coens are, I don't know, they just resonate with me on that level. Um, <clears throat> now, the title of the film, Blood Simple, is from, is it, uh, Dashiell Hammett, um, and it refers to... See, last week we did Local Hero, which I didn't understand. That was, what, that was, that was two episodes ago. We're, we're, we're really cranking about these days. Oh, my goodness, that's true. Um, some time ago... Well, uh, well, this is another film set in Texas. This will be the, our fourth film in a row set, at least partially, <laughs> in Texas. Don't know why, but there we are. Uh, we will break our Texan 
Texas Hold'em. <laughs> um, seen enough. I made myself laugh there with a feeble pun. Um, That's an inside <clears throat> straight. Might as well draw to it. Looking at the title, it's never actually used as such in the film, but I think it's fairly clear from context that what, what's their meaning by by simple in this case? Something simple <clears throat> is fixated, obsessed, crazed about. You know, you, you're completely thinking about that subject. Uh, yes. To the exclusion of all else. So it's making you um, simple or crazy or regardless. So to be something... You know, you're only is. looking at the money, the revenge, the whatever. The blood. Yeah. The blood. The dreadful blood out, out, damn spot. Um, yeah, it refers to the state of mind of someone who's who's done a murder uh, and then basically does not think straight and consequently makes a lot of mistakes. Um, yeah, I mean, the, these people just haven't considered the the implications and the psychological impact of murdering their friends and co-workers. I mean, if they'd just <laughs> given it a bit of thought in advance, then, then they'd have done much better. And so they'd... You sound like you speak from experience, which is slightly terrifying. Um, sorry, that was an awful accusation to level at someone. But, but yeah, it's, so I, I also feel, you know, we came off, oh, that's where my train of thought got derailed. We came off local hero. I still don't understand what the title means. Hmm. Um, but Blood It could Simple, be at least two characters. It could three. be. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know who you expect, because the, the characters it's referring to don't necessarily seem to be the protagonist. Anyway, the Blood Simple, this state of uh, kind of shock-induced idiocy following murder, is a pretty good summary of the entire film. And for at least one of them, it's... Um, and then the impulse to commit further murders without, as far as one can see, any particular plan for how it, how that's all going to work, other than the killing. Well, we're talking about um, the gloriously sleazy. In fact, I've no, um, M. Emmett Walsh has been described as that poet of sleaze. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's quite um, appropriate here. He plays um, Visser. Yeah, ne- uh, never named actually in the film, but so. no, no. The, but he's quite he's all, he's a quite striking figure. A large Stetson's yellow. Uh, yellow covered man, it, always sweaty, always um, kind of covered in flies, and just <laughs> just deeply unpleasant. I really, um, I so for me, I really liked him as uh, the chief antagonist amongst the uh, pro slash antagonist. <laughs> I well, mean, they're all their well, own antagonists in some way. Also, the provocateur. I felt. I mean, in his very <clears throat> first scene when he's handing over the surveillance photos, which are themselves more than Julian the husband. Had asked for. Yes. Uh, he is provoking. He's, uh, he, he's deliberately making Julian angry. Uh, it ain't yeah. such bad news. I mean, you thought he was coloured. <laughs> I'm sorry. That is a classic, um, Cohen. Um, yes, yes. And, and judging um, by the, um, uh, early shots, you know, the, the first few scenes in, in the car and the motel, <laughs> I think that it is intended to be, uh, she ha- you know, a- Abby has decided to leave Julian and, yes. and go somewhere else. Yes. And maybe she's had, an, had affairs before and maybe not because presume, you know, maybe Julian was just randomly jealous, but she has, she hasn't been sleeping with Ray before. No, it's, it's suggested that that is a sort of spontaneous thing. Why she's driving with Ray is a bit unclear. She but, didn't have um... access to a car perhaps. Uh, so, yes, but they they end up spending the night together. But they're being they must have been suspicious because they've already got this PI hired to follow what they're doing. Well, yeah, Julian was suspicious, but we don't know. We don't ever find out whether there was a reason for it. No. I mean, if if you wanted to read it that way, you might say that she had a thing with Maurice. Yes, there, there's nothing to contradict that. No, or maybe she didn't. Got... I mean, we don't know. They've certainly got an easy chemistry, although he has an easy chemistry with most people in the film. <laughs> it's easy, the, the light, yeah. light-hearted one. Um, yeah, but it's, uh, it doesn't seem unusual that the husband is an extremely jealous character who might have just done this on the basis of nothing more than extreme suspicion. He's, he's that sort of character. But, but as, uh, as I see it, you know, if, if posit a different PI, if he'd handed, handed over so, yes, I have seen her with a man. They went into a motel together. They didn't come out till the morning. Just, you know, cold and clinical. Yeah. Would Julian have attempted to commit murder? Would he have hired the murderer after he failed to do it himself? Maybe. 
Maybe he just well, would have tried to beat somebody up. I mean, you know. We have a slightly contract. You know, we have Jake Gitters at the start of Chinatown, who's basically doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. But he does it in a but very it's the professional classic PR manner. thing. But you don't, I, you don't have to leer about it. You don't have to slime your way across and yeah, make him really think about what actually happened that night, and then make it very clear in photographic terms what exactly happened. I completely agree. In in this case, Visser is. And I don't think he's doing it for financial gain. I don't think he's expecting necessarily to get another job off the back of this. I think he just likes doing it, yeah. <laughs> doing it that way, really. Um, in, 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 in the first half of the film, I, I would say he he is very much the tempter figure, you know. But mm. yeah, working on Julian, go on, you you can do this. You're, you're already medium horrible. You can do this slightly more horrible thing, and it won't really compromise you much more. Yes. Then, of course, that that shifts rather when when he starts acting. Uh, on his on his own behalf, but well, that yes, yeah, so we do. I, I think you're right. I think he stimulates the 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 murder, and then I mean, I got again. It's never quite explained in the film, but it's not. These characters' motives are not particularly deep, and it it seems to me he decides it's going to be easier to get rid of one body than two bodies, um, and get the same amount of money for it. So he decides to kill the husband instead. And carefully doing it with Abby's gun so that she will get picked up for it. Yes. So he does frame her quite effectively, but even he who is... So the, the I, kind I, of I think that's his original plan. It is. That's slightly... Yes, so we'll, we'll come... Uh, you know, even he, in the heat of the moment, makes, you know, at least two uh, and probably more significant errors um, mm-hmm. that would lead straight back to him, um, which leads him to commit further crimes which we can talk about but you know the original plan horrible as it is it's probably sound it's easier to get rid of one one witness than um than three yeah i mean it, it does ignore what ray might do but that's know, true on, yes. on the face of it it's not a terrible plan well also they he is utterly I mean, really, right until the last real, they have no idea or even of the existence of this. You know, mm. they, they are, he's completely unknown character to them, so he's unlikely to be accused by them. Um, that's a nice scene um, when I realised he was going to do it. What confused me, uh, it took me a while to work out that the reason Ray... Because I just... Ray found the body um, and then immediately started cleaning up which utterly confused me. I didn't understand why he was doing that. It all makes sense later on, and I'm probably a bit slow. He'd found the gun by that point and realised, well, he'd made the assumption that Visser wanted the cops to make, that it was um, Mm. his girlfriend, it was um, Abby that had done the murder. It took me a while to work out that, because he just started... Like used to, I mean, the, that is where it becomes a little comedic to me when he takes off his own coat and starts mopping up the blood with it. Yeah, and then, I mean, as I say, if you can't think fast in the moment, think about it beforehand. <laughs> well, he was a little surprised by this turn of events. I was also slightly pleased. I was thinking, like, that corpse is breathing. This is very well. This is very badly shot. No, no, it turns out he's supposed to be breathing. He's still alive. No one actually thinks to check. Visser doesn't think to check whether he's actively killed him. Mm-hmm. Um, Ray doesn't think to check whether he's dead. Yeah, I, I mean, say. informally, there's, there's a whole lot of firearms mythology here. I mean, you assume in film, somebody gets shot in the chest, they're dead. Mm. And, uh, yeah. I mean, as, as we know, there are bits you can miss. I, I will say. I, I was a bit uh, surprised at the lack of spray, to be honest, if, he, if his heart is still beating, but, you know. I think he's got a significant blood clotting problem because that blood never seems to go. <laughs> Even when the blanket is put a day later on the back seat of a car, it still mm. soaks in as if it's not. Um, the blood is still dripping there. I suppose he was still alive at that point. Um, but yeah, I guess he didn't get shot in the heart. Um, would be the the logical assumption. More likely got shot given the the kind of yeah. slow yeah. slow death from him afterwards. Um, yeah. uh, it, I mean, it's almost a comedy of errors, except it's not... From that point on, you know, I, I thought about halfway through, I thought, well, nobody's actually died in this. This is actually pretty low body count. Then it escalates fairly rapidly <laughs> from there. Um, it is... A, a, from there, really, it, it is blood simple. It's sort of well-planned by Visa, the framing device, and then it just all goes to and pot. The, and the everyone... moment that goes off the tracks, Visa is as much improvising as everybody else. Well, you want to talk about his plan. So later on, he decides to shoot both of them in a studio apartment, as far as I can tell. 
Yeah, and the, the, mm. assume he manages that. Mm. These people have both been shot by somebody outside. I mean, that leaves the police looking for a murderer. It's obviously a murder. It's, it's not, you know, they shot each other. Yes, his only hope there really is not to leave any possible evidence of anything leading back to him. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose his plan there is to go in and retrieve the evidence that he was there, that I'd, I'd lost track of yeah. he had it at that point. Um, <laughs> I've no confidence he would have covered his tracks as well as he hoped he would have done. Mm. But I suppose that's his vague idea. But then after that, to actually go in to try and, instead of just aborting, when he might have got away with it, I suppose, and coming back later, to go in and try and get Abby then um, doesn't go well for him. I, I do suspect that they might have started with the, those two really striking images we get towards the end. One of the guy nails to a window ledge from the outside, having mm. been trying to reach through, and the other of the, the uh, bright shining bullet holes in the wall. Yes. Like they, they, those uh, are both is... clearly carefully set up moments. I, think, I won't say they don't work. They work very well. But I do think that the story has to some extent been driven to set that situation to up. Set so those... that it seems reasonable. They're incredibly cinematic images in the sense that reading that in prose wouldn't have quite that. Particularly, you know, his hand nailed to the... It's just such a visual image mm. that he's having to punch his way through the wall. I agree, that's very cinematic. And then the the real staging of the light shining into the dark room as he shoots the bullet holes in. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a bit obviously a super bright film light, but... Yeah. Yes, yeah. it's uh, It, it, it doesn't works. detract from it, and it doesn't... I, I suppose, you know, there would have been a school of filmmaking, which I wouldn't argue with, that could have started with that scene and then kind of shown us how we got there. Mm. I know you disagree with such... Well, I'm generally in favour of telling a story in order. I mean, yeah, yeah. You, you could start there and have a flashback, but I don't think it would work because while the rest of the film is building up to it, I think one would always be waiting for it to get to that level. Yes, I agree with you. I mean, I'm criticising. We're criticising a film they didn't make, but I just <laughs> said, yeah, I, I agree with you. It feels like that's almost where they wanted to start and how we're going to get to that that fairly striking image. Um, oh, well, I would really... like to say Dan Hedaya, Julian, he is just great. <laughs> I mean, he, he has that role nailed. He does. I mean, yeah, we're talking about M. Emmett Walsh. Uh, the, so apparently the Coens are fans of M. Emmett Walsh mm-hmm. um, and just sort of wrote the story for him. But uh, they, when they phoned him, they had no idea what to call him. Were they like, do we call him M? The, I mean, all they knew <laughs> was from film. Um, I agree, though. So he's like the, the poet of sleaze. But Dan Hunter really is... Not far behind him on the sleeve. You, you get that really cringeworthy kind of attempt at a pickup in his own bar. Mm-hmm. Um, just falls utterly horribly flat um, and really deeply unpleasant. Um, yeah, uh, but he's also the, this is actually the year before the first thing I saw him in, which was Commando, a Schwarzenegger film. Oh yeah. Oh, well, he's a he's a he's a very distinctive face. Mm. Um, Interestingly, he's actually, um, although he's often cast as Italian American, he's actually um, Jewish, I believe, mm-hmm. um, rather. Um, but uh, uh, he's now eighty-one at the time of recording and still working. Very good. Yeah, he's in. In fact, everyone in this film, the one that uh, yes, I, so sorry, I do want to uh, move on from him because he was really. Um, he's very believable. I mean, these are all. It's that combination uh, of vengeful and just tremendously tired. I can yeah. sympathise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's, well, all these characters are um, stereotypes, um, mm-hmm. which is true to true to genre, really. Um, uh, but they're all they're nicely fleshed out by the actor. Yeah, Dan Hadaya is is wonderfully um, unpleasant as the husband. You can see why Abby is probably trying to escape him, despite her otherwise uh, life a nice life. John Getz, I thought I hadn't seen in much more, but I, mm. I looked at his filmography. He's in bloody loads of things. He just uh, he just doesn't just seem to stand out. Never, never a really huge star. No, but he was. He does. Uh, he does good work here as as kind of the reliable. Uh, uh, kind of the Ish. Texan alpha male, I suppose. Um, well, he thinks he's the hero. That's the basic exactly. Um, <laughs> that that really does not does not really have the uh, uh, have the goods to back up his his swagger in a way. Not, it's not very swaggery, but he's he's not got very many goods either. Well, the thing <laughs> that really struck me there um, when Julian attempts to do the murder himself. Mm. Um, He's come in and attacked Abby. Abby has just been fighting for his life. 
and Ray is, has been woken by the struggle and is coming out basically still being lazy, bored, you know, I, I'm not taking this very seriously because mm. this, this is just Julian and I'm not, you know. And I know, there's a, there's a nice slight reverse on that when, um, when the husband is being buried, uh, and there's just that moment where he pulls the gun and you really don't know where it's going to go mm-hmm. and he manages to squeeze the trigger twice before Julian kind of, Almost, almost kindly takes the gun off him and then, <laughs> but doesn't have the, the guts to like hit him in the head with a shovel just, just That was certainly him. the way I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's, there's something really disturbing about that, that he's just, he just buries him. He just, he can't face it. I, um, I believe it is, uh, one of the cones themselves onto the dirt because there are some things you can't get your actors to do if you're paying them, you know, normal, <laughs> that, normal wages. I think that's fair enough, really. There is a kind of a, a visceral horror about being being buried alive um, that does uh, leave a worrying taste in the mouth. Uh, this, it, so it's a is, remarkably shallow grave. It is. You would think. I mean, he would have to be really quite close to death. And also, I mean, it, you, you get this aerial shot of this this kind of farm that he's gone to with mm. these very obvious tyre tracks, you know, leading to this extremely shallow grave. Yeah, when, when they get up, they're going to notice that. Yeah, yeah. Again, <laughs> I know that... I mean, we we'll never hear about it again, but one, one feels there would, there would be a certain amount of police involvement at that point. Given that, you know, he's, his body is actually probably less than an inch under the ground by the time he's mm-hmm. been covered. Um it's, uh, yeah, I agree. Again, it's another one of the, the blood simple thing. Um, we have Francis McDormand's, um, yep. first, for, I don't think it was a first screen job, but it's probably a first film. Uh, job. nothing, there's nothing in IMDb before this, though I, th- I think she'd had done some theatre stuff. Yeah. Um, I um, mean, she's very. She, she's an actor I'm, I've always been very impressed by whenever I've well, seen that's her. It. In a way, she's less. Impressive here, but only because I know what she's capable of. Yeah, later. The, the, there is in the other roles I've seen her in a sort of utter collectedness. Yes, that isn't quite here. I mean, it wouldn't be right for the role, so fair enough. No, she's she's. I mean, she she has a strength to her. She feels a bit like um, Ripley in some ways, uh, and actually looks slightly similar at this age to Ripley for me. <laughs> but she's. Um, but yeah, in, in few, I mean, there are some, she's got some great performances, you know, Three Billboards, I don't know if you've seen that, it's yeah, very good, yeah. um, and, uh, Fargo, which I would strongly recommend, she's great in that, she's, she's brilliant in everything she does, here she's very good, um, I don't know that she's got loads to do, other than kind of react and be shocked, yeah, scared. though, I mean, if you go looking for it, I think you could find a feminist message here, which is, you know, the man who is older than you will try to help you. But in the end, you're going to have to do it for yourself. Well, that's true. She is let down by all the men in her life and has to deal with it herself. Though, quite how well it's worked out for her. There, know, there is af- the question of what, the what she would closed. do next, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, she's she's got some explaining to do for sure. I mean, she may well argue a way out of it simply by telling the truth from her perspective. But it's... Um, uh, I mean, she doesn't even know who she's <laughs> she's shouting about it. That is a nice closing scene mm. when she says she's not afraid of him, um, and Emma uh, and Viss's final response is just to laugh like a drain because <laughs> he he suddenly realised the utter stupidity of everyone involved, really, in the mm-hmm. whole situation, including himself, including himself, and just got himself killed. Yeah, I mean, there, there have been final girls in cinema before this. Um, some of them are arguable, but you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. But oh, I, yes. I don't think, I mean, yes, all right, she is, she is the sole survivor of the principal cast, but I don't think that's quite the right trope. It's, it's more, uh, if, you know, she is the one who can keep her head well all around and losing theirs and blaming it on you. <laughs> yes. Um, we had almost. a slightly, in- I mean, uh, almost. When, when Ray gets shot, she is standing right next to the light switch and she runs away from it. But, you know. I, I, I would excuse her for that. She comes <laughs> up with a novel solution for turning the light out. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, we get an interesting perspective in this film. There's a lot of, uh, is it called dramatic tension when the audience knows something that the characters don't? And this film mm. is, is shot through with that because we all know. I don't think anybody, know- anybody has all the information. 
No, exactly. nobody on the screen really understands quite what's happening at any one point. But we at least we understand the sequence of events and understand where they're where they're misunderstanding and almost. Ugh. I, I, don't I mean, know. One, one one could also talk about this as an example of bad communication in a relationship. I mean, <laughs> yes. if Ray and Abby could actually talk to each other a bit more plainly, then you know they they could. Uh, could have avoided some of that problem. <laughs> yes, I agree. And it doesn't feel that unrealistic. I just love, 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 you know, that his reveal to her about what had happened with Ray. It's just done so neatly with, um, he was still alive when I buried him. And that's, it's just completely out of the blue for her. She doesn't understand what he's talking about, but just, it's just a perfect line of dialogue for me that it just, you mm-hmm. can just imagine her whole, the bottom completely falling out of the world at that point. And yeah, and she not... she is scared of him after that because as as far as she's concerned, this guy has a committed a murder, but also b casually assumed assumed that she would commit a murder. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Whereas from his point of view, I got the impression he was a bit scared of her for doing it, but has decided to sort of uh, man up, if you like, and go along with it. Mm-hmm. It's um, oh, it's like... so it's nice yeah, to see he that he thinks he's in a story about the good guy in over his head. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it turns out he's in a Coen Brothers film, and 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 it really is, it really is um, noir in that it is, um, it's just about yeah, unpleasant characters doing unpleasant things, and uh, the the world, the world of this place is, is very dark and cold. But there are mm. there are touches of humour. I mean, one is the the fact that everyone drives off angrily down the dead end and then has to drive angrily back again which <laughs> I quite like that yeah. felt like a very Cohen touch um, and the, just the ridiculousness of the situations deadly serious but to the pu- push to the point of what really seriously that is a very um, mm-hmm. Cohen-y trope which they develop more yeah I mean I, I, I kept saying to myself look people you have blinds you have curtains you close them and of course, well, they did, specifically, they didn't right at the end. That, that's but... the thing. That, that, that's saying in in the final um, sequence that yeah, we actually don't have curtains. Yes, because you know, new build or whatever it is, new, just moving in, and that says yeah, we are aware of this. I mean, <laughs> I think the theory there is that all the entire plot of the film could have been avoided with a decent set of drapes in any one of three three situations. Yeah. <laughs> really. Well, there we go. I don't know what we'd learn from that. I, apparently the Cohen's own a large curtain company somewhere in Kentucky. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the thing that struck me repeatedly is really nobody here is psychologically prepared for what they end up doing. Yeah. And they think it's going to be a lot easier to do and to then to come back from than it is. Yes. Well, you have not seen a lot of the other... Cohen film, but that that becomes a huge trope of people basically uh, their reach is exceeding their grasp um, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, and, and really telling themselves this, and it's usually crime because I think that's just the easiest way to dramatise it. Um, <laughs> uh, particularly Fargo is a similar comedy of errors, but told with, um, well, I don't want to spoil Fargo. Well, for the, you. Th- uh, the thing about crime is it throws you on your own resources. Yes. It, even uh, if you are the sort of person who is used to getting help from outside, all of a sudden, you know. Well, I want to say this to me. Um, I, I I really respond to this kind of film because my feelings about murder uh, and my feelings about, well, not so much crime, but specifically murder. Murder is something that's slightly fetishised in modern culture. We have... Hmm. And has been since, I guess, well, for a long time, I suppose since the Moonstone, but, you know, Ag- Ag- um, <laughs> Agatha Christie. Um, and I know things have moved on a lot from Agatha Christie, but I, I loved Agatha Christie when I was a kid, but I, I eventually got to the point of, of feeling it was too cold and clinical. And, you know, this was a murder. It wasn't a cryptic crossword. These people had been killed. And uh, then later in my life, I came across Homicide, um, 
life on the streets mm-hmm. and then read the homicide book and then watched the wire and and to me that really feels like what what murder is in real life it's not this carefully plotted um with a sip of um brandy while in your drawing room it is messy and it's stupid and above all people just wish that they could go back to that one moment when everything changed and just not do it and now they're in this ridiculous situation and there's all mess and it's gory and they've got to sort it out and they're trying to think about how they're going to get caught and what should they do should they go to the police that feels to me much truer to life of Mm. murder and you know most murderers are caught well i mean i suppose logically the, the ones that are caught are caught because of the mistakes they make and even the serial killers who've done it many many times maybe because they come blase make in fact murderers tend to make so many mistakes that in retrospect it's often questions why the police didn't catch them much sooner Mm. um i just feel so to me i respond much more to this film we talked about this a bit off air that well i'm kind of criticizing whodunits for being a different when really we're looking at a different genre which is noir yeah i mean i I, I do read a lot of murder mysteries and i enjoy them i i I certainly agree this isn't the same sort of thing but I, I like a compromise. You get somebody like John Dixon Carr of, of the classic American authors who basically gives you a pure mechanical puzzle that you have to work out from, you know, could X have got from A to B in this time and all that yes. stuff. And at the other end, you can have a pure story of character which basically doesn't really go into practicalities at all. And I, and I generally yes. like something in between those two. Yes. But one, one of the things that that can produce is what you might call the, the psychological mystery, though probably somebody's used that to mean something else. It's, you know, given these people, given their psychology, for which you obviously mm. need quite well-drawn characters, which yeah. of them is the one who would have regarded a murder as the sensible way out of the trouble they're in? The solution to their problems, and, and not, yeah, to unlock that in their mind. Again, and and that, to... that's where it does verge into this. You, know, you, you can see why each of them in the moment thought that what they did was a good idea. I think in the moment sums it up to me because I feel um I I don't know that there are many sane people I, you know um psychopaths oh, absolutely excluded <laughs> psychopaths excluded that actually will consider murder uh well the, the, a there's there's a complication here in terms of the um psychology of violence and um, primary evolution right um and it, it it's people who've studied not not only non-human primates, but um, violent cultures as well. You generally get the thing where if two people are having a beef, they will gradually front up to each other, or, or, or you know, two chimpanzees, ditto. Um, they will escalate threatening behaviour. Mm. Either side has the chance to back down before the violence starts. And even once the violence has started, generally what you end up with is relatively minor wounding and then one side essentially admits they're beaten. Or like, yes. like the dog lying on its back. And well, so that's from a, I'm going to slightly cite from a veterinary perspective, dogs are phenomenal at that. They've got really good ways of submitting. And mm-hmm. you know, I know the whole wolf pack and alpha male stuff is probably not true. But they're certainly very good at... Uh, showing each other aggressive behaviours and backing down. Yeah, Cats, I mean, on the you, other you hand, you don't but... need an overall dominance hierarchy to make that work between two individuals. Exactly. But cats have almost no mechanisms for doing that. If they front <laughs> up against such a that they're probably going to have a fight, which is why I used to deal with a lot more cat bite abscesses than I do dog fights. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but the the thing is, you, you can see the same sort of thing with you know a violent bar. Um, mm. The sort of place that has fights a few times a night. Yes. Again, there's going to be fronting up and a lot of, a lot of the potential fights are going to be defused when somebody says, yeah, okay, I'm going to back down here. Yeah. Yeah. And firearms short circuit that because to yeah. kill somebody with a pistol, you do not have to work yourself up to the point of actually sticking your hand into vulnerable bits of their body. No, you could get up to a point where you just point a thing at them and squeeze a thing. Yeah, it it doesn't feel to the instinctive parts of the brain like a violent act. You're doing a a slow, gentle thing. Yes. And then they're dead. And I I think that may actually be the root of some of what's going on here, because these people haven't worked themselves up to it. They're not in the, I'm going to beat you to death, but well, maybe Julian is when he he fails at the murder. (laughs) Yes. For the most part, they're not in that mode. And so they're all of a sudden being whipped from 
I'm not not entirely happy about this to holy crap I've got a body to dispose of exactly yeah yeah absolutely and I to me yeah I could I couldn't agree with that more and to me that is I I don't have statistics but I bet David Simon does um that uh I reckon 90 95% of murders are that type of murder that kind of basically that ha- immediately afterwards are followed by the oh crap you know moment which this mm-hmm. film is is kind of full of um I, I did so see I a spoof magazine cover many years ago with with the you know big headline what to do when someone dies and the notes down the side saying bleach did you remember the bleach have you got enough plastic sheets? I bet you haven't, have you? So... <laughs> <laughs> well, that, yeah, that's that's this is the that the movie in some ways. Um, well, yeah, I mean, shall, shall we go to Roger's forensics corner? Come on then, let's, all right, let's br- hear it. Let's br- hear all the mistakes that you very made. briefly via Roger's guns corner because that's actually moderately interesting. Um, it the Abbey's gun. Ivor Johnson revolver. They were in business from 1871 till 1993. Gener- yeah, generally boring, but low cost and sturdy and reliable. Right. Um, Less reliable here than you might like. They actually use a different gun in one of the shots, and I don't know why, because presumably they had that gun available for all the okay. other shots. But anyway, yeah. And if you learn nothing else from this film, gloves. <laughs> yes, gloves. Versus wears gloves sometimes and doesn't sometimes. And uh, in eighty four, DNA is not a big thing; it's coming in. But, but oh boy, they good at fingerprints. I feel like this is mainly wearing gloves because the visual effect of him having a knife stabbed through them probably a lot easier with him wearing a glove than not wearing yeah. a glove. Uh, I mean, a crime scene that you've cleaned up amateurishly looks like a crime scene that's being cleaned up. Mm-hmm. If you don't have bleach, just burn the place down. That was, I must say, that struck me as a veteran of many um, Call of Cthulhu campaigns. Just set fire to the bar. I mean, mm-hmm. come on, it's going to be much <laughs> Nobody's easier. really going to miss this at this point. No, no. I, oh, goodness, even I thought of that. Uh, so you put the body in the boot. That's what the boot is for, putting the body in. <laughs> oh, my God. Rather than the back seat, you mean. Yeah, yeah preferably on some plastic sheeting, but, you know. Um that was an interesting. Even point I as well. knew that in 1984. I wonder what would have happened um, if he had just let the lorry hit him. Because I thought that was his plan at first. You know, when he's pulling the body across the road, and the lorry's coming towards um, him. When Dan's, uh, well, Dan's I, I thought he was planning to run run the guy over himself. Yes, I thought that too, but he didn't do that. He didn't do any of the the, the helpful suggestions. We well, to, to be fair, that would probably him. have left him with an undrivable car. That's true. That was another mo- another almost comedic moment when he's just borrowed him and he's le- he's in the middle of the farm and he gets in the car and it doesn't start. Mm-hmm. It's just perfectly tucked for a, a two or three minutes. Well, I do felt like longer. It must have felt like much longer for him. <laughs> You're mm-hmm. just suddenly concerned about actually what's going to happen if he can't start his car. But they, they were kind to him and let his car start. Yeah, I'm not really quite sure what's going on with, with, with the uh, truck driver. Yeah, I, I wasn't quite sure. But then I thought if he lets him hit him, he'll still have a bullet wound in him. He's right there as a witness. The police will be there straight away. I, mm. Yes, but I, I guess we can boil it down to what what everything in this film is about. She's not really thinking clearly about what he's going to do. Yeah, I, I did feel it was rather more for the effect than for an actual decision at that point. Yes, but it's a very yes. nice, it's a very effective yeah. thing. And All right, I, I did write down as I was watching this, Maybe you weren't planning to dispose of a body today, but is that a good reason not to know where all the local pig farms are? <laughs> I didn't. Know it's not a hard thing the, to bear in mind. I don't know how common the feed a body to a pig farm trope was in in eighty four. It's certainly to me, it feels like quite common knowledge now. But maybe that's just the circles I move in that mm. you want to feed a body to pigs. Um, and, and as you course, did point out, these days um, you you can get quite a bit back even after it's been through the pigs. So. Exactly, yes. Nowadays, if you PCR pig shit, you would still, you'd need to get the right load of septic tank, but I think. Yeah, I mean, the the point of the process is, is that the body has disappeared and you're not going to PCR every septic tank in the country. Uh, unless you're particularly, <laughs> especially paranoid. No, that's true. The the other thing, of course, is that um, I don't think it had actually come out at this point, um, but I have read the excellent book, Sexual Homicide Patterns and Motives, which goes into yes. into the psychology of court sexual killers. Not at all terrifying that you have that book in your guest room, Roger. 
I I did once have somebody come out to breakfast with with, with a copy of it, and I said, "Oh, maybe we shouldn't leave it there." And he said, "Oh no, that's my copy. I was reading overnight." (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's one of those things that many of the things that get serial killers caught are not so much mistakes they make as things which to them are the point of the exercise. Yeah, they're, they're psych- the psych- same psychology that is driving them to kill is drive- driving them to kill in this particular way to do these particular things. Right, yes. And I suppose you could argue, as I think you have, that you know, if you, if you have the frame of mind where you can clearly work out exactly what to do with a body and clean up a crime scene, maybe you're not the person who would have done the murder in the first place. Or at the very least, you're, you're not doing it because of a psychological compulsion, probably. Not, not that particular one, anyway. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, there was a thing I noticed, um, really when I was thinking about the film afterwards rather than during it, because it, it wasn't especially obvious. Most of the scenes we get are two-handers, at least between the principal cast. We get a few yes, with three. This. Um, you know, there, there's that bit outside the house with, um, Ray and Abby and Julian, but mostly it's two. You're right. Almost every scene, even the bar scene where there's lots of people around, it's um, uh, it's the bartender talking to the girl. He goes off. Then um, then Julian talks to the girl, and there. Yeah, you're right. Almost all of the film is is two-hander scenes. I wondered if that was because the Coens had zero experience of filmmaking. Like the mm-hmm. first time they'd even been on a film set was when they stepped onto this film set to make a film. I don't know if they did that because they, they knew two-handers are easier to light and shoot and position. Or or it seemed as though they ought to be, yeah. Or it seemed as though they ought to be, yes. It, exactly. it does make it effectively claustrophobic. It does. And it's nice that we're always privy to those comps, so we kind of know what every character knows at any one moment, but they don't... Some of them are unaware of all the other characters, mm. um, uh, or some of the other characters, Um uh, yeah, I think it's a fact. Whether it was deliberate or not, I agree it has an effect on the film and and makes it feel quite claustrophobic. I, I think it's a good effect. I do, and it, I don't know. That's yeah. not a particularly noir, noir trope, as you mentioned at the end of um, Maltese Falcon. You need the whole room full of people for it to really work. That denouement. Yeah, um, well, particularly the, where you you can. All right, I'm going to talk about one of one of my favourite shots, which is you know where where. Um, the gunsel is it's sneaking out while everybody else is arguing, and we as the audience see it because it's happening in the foreground, and they they plausibly don't notice. I mean that that's just great. <laughs> yeah, it it's not a Bechdel test troubler. This film, it's not. A I Bechdel think we've got two female troubler. characters, and I'm not at all convinced they ever meet. I mean, we have a uh, I guess what you could charitably describe as a strong female character. I I, I think well, maybe yeah, that is a bit. But... Um, we have a survivor, a female survivor, which is mm-hmm. nice to see, if nothing else. I, probably not. She's not the chief protagonist, because I'm not sure anyone is really in this film. It's just, uh, I mean, this film doesn't so much um, come to a dedouement as, as run out of protagonist. It just, <laughs> it, it she, just she's probably the... not going to kill herself, therefore the killing is over, yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's just, what I like about the film, um, one of the many things I like about it, it just, each kind of step, is logical. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not logical in the set. They're all mistakes. They're all. But where well, and, and, as to... you say, in the moment, it's it seems it seems like the only possible thing to do. Exactly. But where that leads to is these kind of slightly ridiculous heights. And the only thing, and we brought it up already, that brought me out of that was when Vissa suddenly started doing his um, Lee, Harvey, Lee Harvey Oswald impression. Um, <laughs> it didn't quite logically follow from what we'd seen before, that he would do that. Yeah, I, I, he's generally before that point been self-interested. You know, I want mm. to recover the evidence, I, I want to get the money, I want to have the easy life, and so on. And this this seems like an extra thing. Also, was it just me, or was that tra- shot trajectory all wrong? <laughs> I mean, he was looking down into the window, but he shoots through a lower pane, and then he, then he hits him in, you know, mid-torso. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That was quite a shot as well. Um, <laughs> it depends what kind of gun he had. I was probably aiming for his head. <laughs> probably. Um, for a debut film, I think it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I I don't know that it quite, and you can't answer this, but to me, I don't know that it quite shows the promise of the Coen brothers that I love. 
At, at my at their best for me, they are mm, a, a Tarantino done right. Not that I don't love Tarantino, I do, but they <laughs> they do it with characters that are perhaps warmer and nicer and more interesting but they manage to get all the tension in <laughs> not necessarily here but also they perfect the black humour to the point where I and the Coen brothers are in a quiet day I've certainly been in a room watching Fargo everyone else hated it and I just thought it was the best thing I'd ever seen um, and so mm-hmm. I, I think their black humour is of a level where it's not very obvious and it's it's here but they managed to make it a bit more obvious Um so yeah. you realise they at least think it's funny, um, and and I do too generally. Um, but yeah. not everyone does. But I, 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 think I, I thought here. it worked. I mean, I, I've said before, I'm, I'm not generally fond of films about unpleasant people doing unpleasant things to each other. No. But I think there's enough. As as you say, many of the many of the characters are basically broad types, but there is enough psychological modelling that I can see these as. Yeah, I can see why you made that decision at that point. Yes, unlike this is our classic film that neither is like really would be Raging Bull, which is a film in which we have no characters that we like. But also, they don't. None of the characters really in Raging Bull, and particularly Jake Lamotta, behave in a way that I like to think that I ever would. <laughs> but I can see myself absolutely ballsing up, um, <laughs> disposing of a body um, in the way that they. Or if I ended up in those situations, I can see myself behaving like that. Whereas Jake just, Lamotta, just, all... just bear in mind, five P. <laughs> Proper yeah. planning prevents piss poor performance. <laughs> okay. Sorry, six p. Uh, whatever. <laughs> I thought you were offering your clean-up services for a very cheap fee. <laughs> Would have been nice. Um, I please I not, not on the public podcast. Get in touch with me on Signal. Oh yeah, okay, of course. Um, oh, I'd like to point out the Coen Brothers also won my heart by producing a director's cut of this film, which is shorter than the original. <laughs> film. <laughs> Unlike anywhere, they just thought it was a bit floppily edited, and they tightened the editing. I watched that director's cut. Um, you can tell because it has the music of the four tops in the director's cut, which they couldn't use in the original. For some okay, reason. yeah, that, that's the one I saw as well. Then, uh, so it is tighter edited. They felt it wasn't. That, I mean, they. But, it, but it's very... only like three minutes shorter. Not oh a, yeah, not it's not. Huge. It's not much shorter. It's, it, I mean, there's no scenes cut or anything. It's just uh, more edited. They and uh, Joel and Ethan Cohen, um, they're slightly mysterious figures, and I've never really felt inclined to look into them so much because I just know they're just <laughs> filmmakers that I trust and I will enjoy but they are both credit I can't remember when they started but they used to for some reason they couldn't both credit themselves as directors uh, yeah co-director credit um, runs afoul of the rules basically so what they used to do is say uh, Joel's the director and Ethan is the producer or vice versa as they went through the film I think nowadays they do they ignore that and now mm-hmm. they just admit that they're co-directors at this point um I, I yeah I I I I really respond to Blood Simple. I very much liked it. Um, I don't know that I would have predicted their career because their very next film is it's like a screwball comedy. It's Raising Arizona, which um, is not my favourite theirs actually, but um, I do like it because it's kind of yeah. I, mean, I I haven't seen any any of their other films. Um, would I say from this? But I think I would say from this. Yeah, the the these are at least people to watch because they they have brought off a thing that is hard to bring off well. Yes. Uh, maybe they've only got that in them again, or not. But at the very least, it's worth worth paying attention to the next thing they do. Yes, I agree. Pauline Kale. A, a quick uh, uh, check in with Pauline Kale. She did not like this film. She thought it was very slight and gory, and not very interesting. I disagree personally, but there we are. It's nice uh, to have a so some, somewhat kill. gory by the standards of the day, I guess. Um, it's it's small, but it, it it's deliberately trying to, I think, feel cramped. You yeah, know, you've got this very small primary cast. We've got these relatively small set of locations. It's that's the point. You can't you can't just get away. I mean, Abby's original plan is go to Houston. Yeah. And if she'd stuck with that, everybody would have been a whole lot better off. <laughs> That's the essence of tragedy. If only this had happened. Mm-hmm. Also, and there are so really... many things that could have gone differently and would have ended up in better results. Yes, yes. It, it also nearly, um, not quite, but nearly makes your 90-minute rule. Mm-hmm. Which is the first film for a while that's even come close to it. So, so that's yeah. 
So, was uh, Blood Simple a masterpiece? Um, I'm a little conflicted on that. I mean, uh, it was certainly influenced a lot. I mean, it's, it's heavily influenced by noir and neo-noir. Um, yeah, though I, th- I think... I. All right, we, we will come back to this, presumably, when we watch some Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would be very surprised if Tarantino hadn't seen this and been influenced by it. it it's It's not just the everybody's a bit rotten, it's everybody's a bit rotten in this particular way. You know, they're all pulling in... It's not just, you know, the criminals versus the good guys. Everybody is pulling in a slightly different direction. Yes. And that that's the thing that we haven't seen particularly before. No, I agree. The, the characters, they are a bit um, Tarantino-esque. Now, as as the Coens go on, the, the characters become a bit more... Uh, grotesque. Cohen-esque, um, I suppose grotesque in the sort of original sense of the word, that they just become more caricatures almost. Oh, I love the Coens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love Tarantino too, but of the two, I, I, just the Coens I would keep coming back to. Um, I don't know that it... I think it's an extremely good debut. Um, mm. uh, I don't know that it stands out really massively sufficiently from similar films to be striking. I don't, perhaps I'm being a bit cruel on it there. I'm being deliberately cruel. Well, it struck it. me, but I'm not as literate in, the, in this genre as you are, so, you know, fair enough. Yeah, maybe I'm thinking... I suppose what I'm comparing it to is later Cohen films. And so that... <laughs> I do think it's very, very good. And it is, it's actually one of their better films. It's in their top... Well, I don't know. I, I've never really sat down and looked at the Coens in that way, but it, it's certainly in, in the top half. It's, it's, no it's one that they don't think much of, but no, they don't think much of it at all. They thought it was, but I, I think they say that it was too tied up with the stresses and strains of being um, their, their first, their feast, first feature, and, and all the battles that it was. I think it's very good. I, I think it's very tight and very. Uh, and and uh, Joel man- married Frances McDormand after they finished filming, so you know. He wooed it with literature. Apparently. And let us point out they're still married. Yeah, they are, yes. That was, uh, yeah, and she has, uh, of course, become a mainstay of their films. Quite mm-hmm. rightly so, because she's an amazing actress. Um, I don't know. I might have to suspend my judgment on that. I, lo- I love it. I Well, I I'm, would... I'm definitely saying yes at this point. Okay, good. Well, I will go with you then. I would certainly watch it again. <laughs> Not immediately, um, but I, I wouldn't mind if someone else hadn't seen it. I'd happily watch it with them. Um, I, I can see the temptation that one might have to, you know, diagram this out and, you know, decision trees and... Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, there we are. We liked Blood Simple. I'm very pleased you enjoyed a Coen Brothers film. Mm-hmm. Um, and we may have more to come on Ribbon of Memes. Um, uh, if I've got anything to say about it, we will. <laughs> we'll yeah, could, we could you just hold this shovel? <laughs> oh, uh... Mm. Okay.